Hello everyone and welcome to Q&A number three of the Unorthodoxy podcast. In this one, we're going to get into some tricky territory with an answer to just one question. So let's get stuck in. The question is, when reading the Gospels and especially focusing on the life, death and resurrection of Jesus, how might we mediate between literalist interpretations and more Gnostic or mythological interpretations of the story without necessarily getting stuck in a simplistic either or. In other words, is there a middle ground between reading Jesus as the God-man and reading Jesus as a myth? So that's the question, and this is what I would say to this. What's most obvious and what the question points to is that there are various ways of reading the gospel stories. Actually, there are various ways of reading and interpreting everything, The question focuses on just two of these. The one is a literalist approach that takes everything in the Gospels pretty much at face value, and a mythological approach that doesn't bother too much with the history at all, but really focuses on something like spiritual significance. At least that's how I interpret it. First of all, with regard to literalism, if you study philosophical hermeneutics, which explores the conditions of the possibility of interpretive understanding, you realize that there really is no such thing as taking anything at face value. What there is instead here is an instinctive or intuitive literalism that sees the text in terms of the given subjectivity and historical situation of the reader. That's a really complicated way of saying it, but in more precise language, this would reflect a paradigm known as Biblicism which is really brilliantly discussed by Christian Smith in his book, The Bible Made Impossible. If you are a literalist, you should read that book. And if you aren't, you should also read that book. It's a really good book. Then, with regard to the second way of reading the Bible noted in the question, the mythological approach, the story is not taken to be untrue, but rather primarily as pointing to truths beyond the literal. In other words, as the question suggests, this way of reading is somewhat Gnostic, because it pulls the material and the spiritual apart, and it does this, as far as I can tell, predominantly through reading everything metaphorically. I'm, I'm certainly not going to be able to solve the issue completely here, by the way. I should probably say that as a proviso to any question I answer. Um, I'm also aware that there are other ways of reading the Bible other than the Biblicist and Gnostic ways mentioned in the question. Still, what I do want to point out is that the question presupposes, quite rightly actually, the idea that limits will always be placed on the ways that we read things. Certain perspectives allow specific ways of interpreting and not others, and other perspectives allow different things while excluding others. Such limits can be the fairly natural consequence of personal preferences, personality, cultural influences, and so on. But sometimes, and this is important to take note of, sometimes the limits can be self-imposed. No matter how these limits play out, the limits themselves tend to conform to the general category of what we feel safe with. We feel safe with certain limits and in danger or threatened when those limits have been breached. The known is comfortable because we feel in control and secure. The unknown is, on the whole, fairly terrifying, or at the very least, kind of anxiety-inducing. And the unknown is scary because it threatens to tear the known away from us. This is at least what we perceive. In fact, I think this is why some people tend to resist the idea of there being other ways of reading, 
not usually because of some rationale in favor of their own way of reading, but because the so-called other way of reading might render their own way of reading less effective or less valid. I guess the commandment followed by the hermetically sealed hermeneut, i.e. the person stuck in one way of reading, is the commandment to fear thy neighbor as thyself. Uh, so I, I also think psychologically speaking, there's a kind of projection here. The, the other who represents that sort of different way of reading actually represents some sort of unconscious or suppressed uh, thing that is within us. I hope that makes sense. When we're working with the known, we know how to act, what to accept, what to believe. And in fact, all of us will tend to interpret the world in a way that seeks to confirm and conform to the known, what we know. If the known for you is biblicist literalism, then that is the mode of reading that you are going to most readily adopt. If the known for you is more mythological or Gnostic, that is, if your particular consciousness is more open to, say, not worrying about the literal details or even ridding yourself of such details, then you'll more readily accept that way of reading. The general principle here is that you will find what you're looking for. You will read the world in the way that you are. And this means that biblicist literalism and Gnostic mythologizing are not necessarily all that different from each other. Both can and do tend to merely confirm the bias of the reader, and both tend to presume a particular framework of understanding or a particular epistemology, to use another big word. Both approaches tend to presume that we ought to read the Gospels primarily through the lens of cognitive knowledge. And actually, what I, f I find really fascinating is that this seems to be the furthest thing from the minds of the early Christians. When you have a look at how the early Christians read the Bible, and I'm, I'm obviously talking here about the patristics or church fathers, you'll notice a few things. They comfortably, very comfortably, move from the literal to the moral to the anagogical to the allegorical. These are different ways of reading the scriptures, known as the four senses of scripture. They don't seem particularly bound to only one paradigm of seeing. And the reason for this, as far as I can tell, was that their number one rule for reading the Bible was the rule of faith, not the rule of cognitive acceptability. And I don't mean to oppose faith to cognitive acceptability. What I do think is that faith precedes cognitive acceptability. And that's always true, no matter which paradigm you work with. So the early Christians read the Bible as most of us would read a love letter. They were not trying to get stuck in the precise details of the text. They wanted to see behind the text. They wanted to see God, effectively. The Bible for them was not the word of God. This, this may sound very contentious, but it's really not. Um, for them, the Bible was the small w words pointing to the capital W word. Remember, of course, that the Bible itself does not proclaim that it is the word of God. It proclaims that Christ is the word of God, which is a totally different thing. Um, and this may sound like heresy to biblicists, but it is closer to the truth of how early Christians thought of the scriptures. And this basically means that the Bible in general and the gospels in particular become sacramental. So in brief, my answer to the question of whether there is a middle way between literalism and Gnosticism, the answer is yes. In fact, there is a middle way between all kinds of ways of reading scriptures, and it is sacramental reading. In this line, I would highly recommend that you 
have a look at a marvelous book by Hans Boersma called Scripture as Real Presence. The subtitle to that book is Sacramental Exegesis in the Early Church. Um, as you might expect from a title like that, it is uh, a more academic book, but it's really uh, very profound. I found it profound. The idea set out there and in much of Boersma's work is to affirm a posture before God and the world that seeks to encounter the truest reality through the scriptures or through sacramental living, which is uh, larger than the scriptures. So this is why from the earliest days, the early Christians took up the discipline of praying the scriptures. Sacramental reading doesn't fuss so much with what you know, i.e. with your, say, your epistemological commitments in terms of what you will or will not accept or can or cannot accept. When you think of a sacrament like the Eucharist, the famous bread and wine of the Last Supper that Jesus established uh, fairly shortly before his crucifixion, the Catholic Church offers an alarming proposition. The bread is the body of Christ, and the wine is the blood of Christ. When I was young and steeped in Protestant thinking, um, I thought this was such a bizarre proposition. But this was the proposition. Um, these things are literally Christ, not metaphorically speaking, but literally. And in one blow, both the biblicist and mythologist are disarmed. Because neither perspective works when you take something like bread and wine to be literally the body of Christ. Weirdly enough, it even undermines literalism. At least part of the brilliance of this somewhat mad proposition, i.e. the proposition that the Eucharist is the real presence of Christ, is that it completely shatters the bounds of what we can accept by means of standard epistemological conditions. Your senses will tell you that, of course, the Eucharist is not literally the body and blood of Jesus, but the dogma would say, forget what you know according to your limited and limiting mode of perception. Maybe there is more to what you know than you know or care to know. And that, if you can find it, would certainly be worth knowing. For the record, I do not think this is irrational per se. I would actually call it transrational. It's not the negation of rationality, but its foundation. Because, as it turns out, all knowledge is rooted in faith. I cannot prove, for instance, that there is an ordered world outside my mind, but I can accept on faith that that is so. And then in faith, in that faith, I can begin to discern the nature of this order, whether by science or by um, other means of philosophical inquiry. I cannot prove that my mind is capable of discerning such an order either but I accept this on faith, and then I live in accordance with that faith. That's what I mean by the transrational. Sacramental reading is more concerned with what St. Paul calls, using a rather brilliant metaphor, the eyes of the heart. It is concerned, in a way, with transforming our entire mode of perceiving, and not simply with confirming it. It is as simple and as complicated as that. Uh, such reading is not necessarily safe or in any way easy to justify since it doesn't care much for the paradigm that you can accept by means of your rational knowledge. And sacramental reading doesn't necessarily tell you what you should or should not accept as, say, literally true. It tells you more or less that the truth is deeper than what you know and can articulate and that love grounds all things in a way that is quite difficult to explain when everything looks like it is going to the proverbial dogs. So, with this in mind, let's get to that bit in the question about how we should think of Jesus in terms of a sacramental reading. 
again, this is far more complicated than I will be able to articulate, but let's see how we go. Well, the, the most obvious thing, despite Jesus' seminar scholars, is that Jesus is represented as the God-man in the text. I can't fathom that, and there is really no literalist or Gnostic who can fathom that. I might want to literalize that or Gnosticize that, but the sacramental reading suggests that I need to take the thing presented to me and then allow it to do its work in me. The Biblicist takes the paradox and conflates it into a palatable truth statement. It says it in the same breath as one would speak of the idea that milk goes well in coffee, and that cars are machines that drive on the road. It doesn't see the paradox as being in any way alarming. But then the Gnostic resists the paradox by doing away with one side of it. The Gnostic would say, forget the body and forget history. It's not, you know, none of these things are that important. Yes, of course, as I say this, I realize there are more complex forms of Gnosticism. There's not just one form, but the, the kind of Gnosticism I'm obviously taking a bash at is the kind that splits, uh, splits the body from its spiritual significance. But what sacramental reading does is it asks of us to take the paradox as it is. It is what it is, namely a paradox. It is a construction that disrupts existing patterns of thought, and then it allows light in, in a way that would be otherwise impossible. Paradox is sacramental because it is, most of all, something that you have to live both the Biblicist and the Gnostic can take the so-called truth that they understand and then move on and live as they please. But the sacrament is something ingested. As Catholics teach, you eat the bread and drink the wine, and in so doing, you become the body of Christ. And that's a really alarming thought, but it's, it's part of the point of Eucharistic living, say. At times, my own knowledge systems have led me to think of Jesus as a mere man. And at other times, I've been inclined, thanks to my affinity with Jungian psychology, to lean towards Gnosticism. As I've spoken about on this podcast in many and various ways, I have experienced a loss of faith too. And it is in my various losses of faith that I've been more prone to reading the scriptures and, in fact, the world in accordance with my own knowledge systems. But... I have also found myself more challenged and more open to growing by being confronted with things that refuse to conform to my understanding. Whether or not this is a satisfactory way of answering the question, I, I have no idea, but I hope it gives you at least a sense of why I would recommend something like sacramental reading. It may not give you, say, simplistic facts or clear, easy-to-understand explanations, but it will give you something better and that would be meaning. Meaning is, in brief, that which resonates with your true essence. And I have found that while ways of reading like Biblicism or mythologizing have their benefits, they definitely do. I find that they do not lead to much transformation. And as far as I can tell, the life of faith is, in its various moments of doubt and belief and safety and danger, about being transformed through encountering what means more than I have always been able to understand. There's something that Chesterton says in Orthodoxy, and I really love this image. He says that if you want to put a mystery into your head, it's a little bit like trying to fit the universe into your head, and the result will be that your head explodes. But mysticism, which is what I'm promoting here essentially, is that which allows us to fit our head 
into the heavens because there is always space in the heavens for us to to fit into and in that process we find a sense of belonging not because we understand everything but because we can look at the world and understand it by means of that which we do not understand. I hope that answer helps you to navigate a question like that, or maybe it's good to take the answer as something that disrupts your way of thinking. Um, but yeah, that's what I would say on that question. Thanks very much for listening, everyone. Take care. Cheers. Cheers.